In the year 70, the world ended. I know that I've used that phrase before in prior sermons, the world ended on this date. But nearly 600 years prior, another world ended when Babylonian armies destroyed Jerusalem, the temple, and the Davidic dynasty that had ruled for over 400 years. Many of the elites, those who could fight, those who were literate, and those with means were carted off to Babylon, where a close eye could be kept on them. It wasn't just a national catastrophe, it was also a theological catastrophe. It was a catastrophe of identity. Why hadn't God protected them? Why had God permitted Gentiles to destroy the holy city? Much of the Old Testament wrestles with that very question. Except that this destruction doesn't just happen once, it recurs. In 66, the Jews revolted against Roman rule. This would be some uh, 35, 36 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. After initial success, Jerusalem was besieged and overrun in 70. The city and temple were destroyed, again, by Gentiles. The only remains of the temple are the western wall and a few huge stones here and there lying where they fell nearly 2,000 years ago. As with the exile, the trauma of this cause can't be overstated. Most forms of Judaism vanish soon after. Only a few Pharisaic branches remained, including what would become the Christian church. For what would become John's community, this trauma was compounded by other traumatic experiences. It's possible that many members of John's community had been Jews in good standing with their local synagogue. However, after the temple was destroyed, the split between Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah and Jews who did not widened until the breach became total. Some may have been expelled from their synagogue. A break happened between John's community, which was a small sect of Christ followers, and the wider Jewish community. So you can imagine the pain this would have caused. The temple, the center of Jewish identity and life, was gone. And the synagogue, the gathering place for hearing God's word, was closed to them as well. Without temple or synagogue, how would these Jewish Christ followers regain their identity, their hope? John tells a story that they would have known well, Christ cleansing the temple. It's one of the few stories we find in all four Gospels. But John tells this story from a new angle. Instead of Jesus' demonstration in the temple coming at the end of his ministry, serving as the impetus for his arrest, it is placed at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Why? In John chapters 1 and 2, John takes pains to tell us that something radically new has happened. The Word of God is fully present, not in a building, not in an institution, but in a human being. Jesus still acknowledged the temple as God's house, to be sure. But like all institutions, and I do mean all, the temple was wrapped up with the marketplace. Don't think I don't see the irony 
in promoting the youth fundraiser. On the same day, we have this text. Or in any of the other worthy things we give money to. Some of this was unavoidable. If you were making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, you wouldn't bring your own ox or sheep along. Provision had been made in Deuteronomy 14 to buy what was needed there. You weren't going to lug a sheep or an, or an ox all the way to Jerusalem and maybe it becomes lame on the way and then you can't sacrifice it then because it's not a pure animal. You're not going to do that. You're going to, you're going to buy what you need there. But you know how human beings are. There's always a business opportunity. Some people saw that. What John is keen to point out is that something greater than the institution has arrived. Unbeknownst to all pre-Easter, even to his disciples, God is fully and completely present in the man Jesus. So after the destruction of the religious institution, where does the identity and lifeblood of John's community lie? Sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it's true. In Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for the life of the world. We're in an age, I don't have to tell you, where many of our cherished institutions are crumbling, it seems. The supply chain is a mess. The medical system is overwhelmed. Many of the workers we lauded as essential at the beginning of the pandemic are leaving their jobs, burned out and ill-treated. Congregations our size and smaller have borne much of the pandemic's weight, leading to questions about sustainability. Some have even wondered about the resiliency of our American system of government. To make matters worse, we've been isolated from our usual systems of support for the past 22 months. Many of us are still in our homes, still isolating from others because of COVID. What we used to rely upon seems to be crumbling away. So in a time like this, especially, the question is, what's your faith in? What's your temple? question's an old one. In his large catechism, Luther wrote that a God is that to which we are to look for all good and in which we are to find refuge in all need. Anything on which your heart relies and depends, I say, that is really your God. Anything on which your heart relies upon, fully relies upon and depends, is your God. You might apply that to what keeps you believing as well. What, if it, was taken away, if it were taken away, would make you question if God cared or was really there? In his own time of crisis, John points to the only permanence in a trans, transient world, Jesus the Christ. Only in Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection can we be assured of God's fidelity to humanity. Nothing and no one else is worthy of our ultimate faith because nothing else lasts. Nothing else is permanent. It wasn't just the temple that was destroyed. Rome itself had an expiration date, like all great empires. 
The days of the temple's priesthood were likewise numbered like all religious institutions. The survival or fall of any of these bedrocks of civilization and religious life does not speak to God's presence or absence. It doesn't speak to God's faithfulness. Because God's presence is made known to us in Christ. Jesus makes a very cryptic comment in response to the authorities who ask him for his credentials. What sign can you show us for doing these things? Who do you think you are? Jesus responds, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. We're going to find this kind of misunderstanding a lot in John's Gospel. Because only from the vantage of post-Easter faith does this remark make any sense at all. Nobody gets it. They must have thought he was out of his mind, speaking about rebuilding in three days what had taken 46 years to construct. But Jesus is talking about something more amazing. He's talking about something on the level of creation itself. In fact, it is even more improbable than creation. He's talking about the resurrection. Jesus is talking about the restoration of his own life. And ultimately, the life of all God's people. What we put our faith in is the source of our life. It is our temple, even our God. So as much as we may be in turmoil in these times, we know where our solid rock is. We know where we need to stand. On Christ. Not on our possessions or what we have, not on our ideology, not on our children's upward mobility, not on our homes, not on our 401ks, not even on the future of the American Republic. We stand in Christ and in him alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.